Welcome everyone to the Holstein House podcast. I'm the West Virginia woman, Robin of RobinHolstein.com and Holstein House, where my guests get a great night's sleep at a fair rate plus breakfast. This is a podcast that looks at society and culture issues affecting families in West Virginia and the United States, from food preparation and storage, gardening, home repairs, current events, and more. We'll go around the table and back in 60 minutes or less. So let's hang out and talk a while. I've known Stan Bumgardner for over 20 years. I met him when I started dating my husband. Stan played fiddle in the band Rockin' Horse. An official biography on Stan goes like this. Stan Bumgardner has worked for the Division of Culture and History. A native of Charleston, he earned a bachelor's degree in history from Marshall, a master's degree in public history from WVU. From 2015 to 2022, he was editor of Golden Seal Magazine. Stan currently works for the Humanities Council. I know Stan as one of the, if not the, best fiddle players in West Virginia. Once he kicks off his shoes, puts fiddle to chin, and draws that bow across the strings, he has the ability to hypnotize his audience. He can make them dance the jig or collapse into sobbing lumps. He's a musical puppet master. So Stan, you and I have known each other for about 20 years. A little more, a little less about. Um, I know the music side of Stan Bumgardner, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm aware of your historian side. And I want to pick a little bit at both threads on that. But let's start back. Let's start back. Now, Wayne and I have been married. It'll be 22 years this year, and we knew each other a couple years before that, I think. So let's, let's talk about who Stan Bumgardner was roughly 20, 22 years ago. Tell me a little bit about you from back around 99, 2000. Around 99 and 2000, mm-hmm. I was uh, working for a company called AEL, uh, which was, it's out, of, uh, it's out of business now, but it was a nonprofit uh, education research and development organization. I was doing editing and writing for them. And um, it, it was just kind of a brief departure from my history world. I had been uh, working at the state archives and uh, um, just wanting a new adventure and more money, I, I went to work for AEL, <laughs> and it was it was very interesting. But I, I was kind of drawn back to history over and over, and uh, so I got out of that uh, field and went to work for, for the state museum um, as part of the reno- while they were doing the renovation of the museum mm-hmm. in two thousand. And uh, at the same time, I was playing in probably five or six bands. And everything from kind of like um, uh, hardcore folk <laughs> to um, jazz. I was playing in a jazz band, and I was playing in a band called Rockin' Horse with Wayne yeah. and, and Dave Corncob McCormick and yeah. a whole other cast of characters. Some of yeah, that band they got out. pretty big there. Yeah, it was number wise. Yeah, there he had a lot. <laughs> we were bigger than the stage often. Just about, just about. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun and we played all over and mm-hmm. uh, it, it was just fun playing different styles of music. Even in that one band, um, we were all over the place from like mm-hmm. Southern rock to kind of pop music, um, you know, but it, it was, uh, everyone in the band was just great musicians. It kind mm-hmm. of uh, 
I, I love playing in that band in particular because it pushed you and I, not, not every band pushes you and it's easy to play in a band that, um, where you can just kind of sit back and, uh, and sleepwalk through the songs. I've done that. <laughs> but that band every, every night you had to be on your toes. You never knew what was coming at you. And there might be a new, new song that uh, you'd never played before and just out of the blue. Um, and I think Wayne and I initiated that sometimes. <laughs> so we would just call out songs. <laughs> say, hey, Dave, do you know this one? And um, it, it, was just, it was just a lot of fun. I wish we could have made a living doing that and you know, quit all of our day jobs. <laughs> a lot of people who say that. If I could make a living and quit my day job. But you guys were really, and I, obviously I'm a little biased, but you guys really were good. You really were. Oh, and yeah. um, you guys won that contest. Was it CJ's? Is that the name of the place? It was CJ's. You got a better name. St. Albans. They had that. It was that Rock 105 thing they did that year, yeah. Battle of the Bands or something. And you guys won that. I'd, I'd forgotten that we won. I remember, yeah. being, I remember the, the excitement being part of that, but I had forgotten that we won that. And Jean so Hannah was in it? Yeah, she came up and sang with us. Yeah. Uh, her oldest daughter was just a little baby. Yeah. And yeah. now she's graduate graduating from Marshall I believe yeah I haven't I haven't uh, been in con contact with Jean for a long time now but uh, I knew her daughters were were growing up you know because they all do that Jean but, still uh, sings and mm -hmm. I, I've played with her a couple of times in the last uh, year really really yeah. I haven't That's seen awesome. anything from her is she staying out closer to home or is she still she, coming? She's down south. Uh, uh, and she teaches school in Princeton. Right. And um, yeah, she just, I think, mostly plays in that area. And I don't think she plays a lot. She gets out and just plays you know, more in the summer, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, so we've all got the, the same disorder, and that's age. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wayne doesn't, or he, he doesn't play hardly at all anymore. Um, he he plinks around on the guitar. I've, Went through, we went through a spell and bought him several guitars, and he plinks around on them a little bit. He does okay, but he doesn't play. You know, he just goofs off here at the house with them. Um, and the last couple times that he actually had the keyboards out and, and played, um, well, that's probably been a, at least a year ago. You know, he where he's got that arthritis, his hands yeah. are really sore, but um, he, he misses it. But he stays really busy at work. So I'm bad. He's on the road, uh, not as much as he had been before, but when he's gone, when he travels now, it's for longer periods of time. So it's not like just a few days, it's, it's, it's weeks. So, wow. Um, but, uh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, of course we, we're all nostalgic, you know, we all look back and think, oh, those were great times, you know, and they were pretty good, but I, I really, I, I'm biased and I just think you guys did great work. Great work. Thank you very much. I, I had a great time, and you know, I, everybody in the band was just stellar. I uh, yeah. I often felt like I was dragging the band at times, and I, and I and I'm not just being humble because I don't feel that way about most bands I played in. It was just that's what I meant about being challenged by that band. Is like you had well, there's I mean, your ability with with the fiddle is just amazing because it's not too many people that can play the range of of stuff that you did on a fiddle i mean you you were playing stuff i thought could could not 
you can, how in the world is he playing that to that song you know so you you're, you're good at that now what exactly tell me a little more what is hardcore folk music another i was in this band called the top view project and uh another name they used uh, was anti-social country um because it had kind of a country folk type flair um but then we were the music kind of was grungy and i don't even know if grunge is used anywhere anymore as a word but in the 90s it was really popular <laughs> And yeah, it we used were, to be. Yeah, we were kind of like take like the the sound of Nirvana or, or the feeling. I don't want to say the sound of Nirvana, but the feeling of Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and put it to country music and put it to original songs that were more in the folk style. It was kind of I, I don't think we certainly didn't invent it and, and we weren't the best at it, but it was uh, it was different, especially for West Virginia. It was uh, we we had a small but devoted following. I'll put that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to hear you don't still play, do you? No, the lead singer is named Tim Nicholas and he passed away about ten years oh. ago. And he, mm. he had quit playing um years before that and moved away. So we broke up about two thousand. Okay. Because um, I was gonna say I'd I'd like to hear it just to know what it sounds like. I'll I'll try to find an old recording. So I've got a few uh, things oh. that we recorded and um some of well, them are listenable than others. <laughs> that, that'd be fun. It really would be. So, okay. Um, you moved to, you, you went over to uh, Culture and History during the renovations. Yes. Did you have an actual, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want it to sound, you know, demeaning, but did you have a role in the actual renovations or were you just working there while it was going on? I was the, the the museum renovation project went on for 11 and a half years from 98 to 2009 for a lot of reasons that I like to think aren't my fault. Uh, <laughs> well, the, if you weren't there from the beginning, then. It's exactly. It's uh, it, 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 mostly money. It all came down to, you know, it was the, the project it was always kind of does. Under, underestimated dramatically yeah. um, for a lot of reasons and a lot of pretty innocent reasons. Uh, the main one was that it was in a building that was built in 1976, yeah. right before all the you know, the building codes changed. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of grandfathered in for a long time. And once this big renovation started, it opened, it opened the box of all bringing everything up to modern code. So yeah. all of that kind of fell on the museum project and the, the, the total started going up. But it, in the end, it was a good thing because the, uh, you know, the, it's at the culture center on the state capitol complex mm -hmm. and a lot of the things that happened needed to be happened in terms of you know fire safety and ada compliance things that are, are more modern developments when i went there when i went to, to work there i was the assistant museum director for a few months and then uh the museum director retired mm -hmm. um and so I suddenly became the acting museum director with this museum to build. And um, so I had never built a museum. And <laughs> we brought in people who helped us and gave us advice. And uh, I surrounded myself with good people from inside the agency. And then um, it just became too much of a, a chore trying to be the museum director because we had several museums around the state. 
and I was overseeing right. those at the same time I was trying to oversee this renovation. So I finally, um, I quit as, as museum director and they hired another museum director. And then I came back and worked uh, uh, full time just on the renovation. And I was the creative director. Mm -hmm. uh, so I helped select the stories that were going to be told and, and worked with a team of historians to develop kind of the storyline that would go throughout the museum. And I mean, down to the level of, of choosing artifacts and um, uh, you know, writing lots of copy, writing, writing uh, scripts for audiovisual presentations. And, and I don't want to make it sound like I did all this alone. I had, we had a team of people who were just amazing that, that put it all together and uh, it opened in 2009. And it's, you know, it, it's one of those places when I go back there, I see the things I wish I'd done differently. But for the most part, it's especially when you compare it to, I think, to other state museums, you know, that I've been to, uh, it's, 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 it's good. It's, and it's, and it's entertaining whether you're really into history or not. I think. Yeah, I haven't, uh, it's, um, I want to say that it was before all of the lockdown insanity that we had, um, back in 2000, that I, I had been out there, I think right before then. And, um, I can't remember what was. I went there to look at some of the rail history. I don't know if that was its own display or if it was part of something else, because, you know, where I live, we've got the Mark Dickinson yard and the house we're in is is a 1900s, 1920s ish house. And I was I was trying to find a little history just on the railroad and how long it had been here, tying it into some of my family because my dad's family came here, the men came here to work on the railroad, and of course, then they brought the women later. But um, so our uh, a large number of our family worked at that in that yard. And I, so I was just trying to look at stuff and I did see some um, maps, some older maps of some of the old railroad lines. And one of them was this one. And I want to say it was the M&R, but I can't remember if that was it or not. Around the, the Canal of Michigan. K&M, K&M. Yeah, that's right. It was in the 1880s it would have come through. Your yeah. And that jobs with um, some of the, the family history about, you know, when they came here and when some of my grandmother's uh, sisters were born you know, in the area. So that, that, that jobs real well with that. Um, but I was trying to look some of that stuff up and I know I was down there looking at some of those displays on the rail yards and it was, but I don't remember exactly, like I said, what year, I think it was, I want to say that it was, uh, 2019. Um, cause I, I think it was before everything got crazy. There was no masks or anything like yeah. that required. So, um, but well, I don't know exactly. The museum has, it, we kind of, um, the original idea was to do the museum as kind of a theater set mm -hmm. all the way through right and take you through all the way through west virginia history and um they call them theme settings so there's actually like a coal mine mm -hmm. a little coal mine that you go right. through and there's a little company town um but we realized uh, and a lot of people that were looking at the design said this it's like, you know, there's not much room for artifacts in a theater set, plus they're out of scale. Yeah. Um, and then there's people who, who just really like certain aspects of history. 
-hmm. So what we did is we, we, we kept the theme path that we called a show pass that went chronologically, but then off of that show pass, we had, uh, 26 discovery rooms and we, they're still there. Um, 26 uh, yeah. focused on topics. Yeah. So if you want to know about railroads, there's a railroad room and there's a river discovery room. Yeah, yeah, that was hard for me to navigate. That's probably just me. But that that whole trying to figure out where I was in that basement. <laughs> it gets walk around, where am I? Where how do I get back to where I was? You know, it, it was tough for me, but there's one section in there, right, and that's exactly where it is from the railroad area and the industry area where you can end up kind of uh gaining a little cul-de-sac or getting in a loop there. Mm -hmm. um, and and part of that was the problem was you, we were dealing with um, an existing building. Sure. Yeah. So we had a and, and with a relatively short ceiling for everything we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So the, it was um, it was a maze, and uh, not amazing. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's you're right. A mouse maze. <laughs> a maze. Uh, yeah. And, and there's places where you can't get too lost, but there's a few that uh, I've had several friends tell me they they weren't sure which direction they were going. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was real. It was interesting. I had uh, Wayne says, "Hey, he just hey, Wayne. he just texted me. I had told him I was interviewing you today, and he says, tell him I said, hey, he must be on his break.' Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, had, I had had a um a couple photos. Uh, actually, I submitted a couple of photos and got one of them in a juried exhibition over there. I think before all that underground, underneath stuff was finished. Um, I can't remember when it was either. Let's see, that's a and that's the juried exhibit uh, has been going on since 1979. Yeah, wasn't that far back. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne and I were married by the time this happened. I, I, we're the same age. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, no, it wasn't that far back. It, um, it's, but it's very competitive, and, and they bring in jurors to yeah. you know, make the make the. Decision. Mine, uh, the one that they chose was a dragonfly that I had shot uh, on with camera out uh, Cranberry. Oh. I just, I had just was in a mood and I do this cause that's just who I am. I was in a mood. I had my camera and I thought, I, I don't want to stay in the house here. I, I, I got to get out somewhere. I was, had a little cabin fever and I went out to Cranberry. I didn't go very deep. I was just walking around there on that little um, uh, plank, you know, sidewalk thing they've got going through uh, their fairly, um, when you first go in, I mean, yeah. I didn't like yeah. it. So, and, and I had my camera with me and I, there was a chipmunk picture I took and submitted and there was something else. And then there was the, um, the dragonfly and it was, it was on a, on a, on a tree. And, um, I, I couldn't get too terribly close, but I was able to get close enough so that I could zoom just a tad and, and still do okay with it and submitted it it didn't place place but it, it was it was it was uh it was displayed so it was uh it was fun i i never thought i'd <laughs> when i submitted it i thought ah oh, this won't work but yeah i got the notice yeah it's on display i'm like yay me so <laughs> you never know till you try that's why no, i tell that's everybody true. about yeah and it's not artists or they're not authors or anything mm -hmm. else didn't try yeah, and, and you might luck out and there not be very many uh, entrants in your category. So. 
It's, you know, and that's the thing about music, art, and all of this is it's, it's dependent on the, who the viewer or listener is. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has their own tastes. Um, yeah. I mean, some of the things I like, I, I, my wife can't stand and vice versa. Oh, yeah, I know how it is. <laughs> so we have to but find you, you like just enough of the same things to keep everything, in, you know. That's it. And then when we're snuggly in the wintertime. <laughs> we're in our car, like on our way home, we're not together, then we listen to those things we know the other one doesn't want to listen to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah Wayne does. I, for a couple years ago for his birthday, I got him a subscription to uh, XM Satellite. Mm-hmm. And he, he likes those awful old radio station detective type story. Oh yeah. yeah, I can't stand those things. <laughs> but you know, if I'm in his ride, then I'm listening to that stuff, and then uh, you know, because he's not listening to what I'm listening to <laughs> when I'm when I'm there. Well, um, now back now, we're going to go. We're going to come a little little more forward here, a little bit in time. But still, back in 2020, just just three years ago, I I caught part of an interview that you did with Eric Douglas. Okay. And you said in that interview with public broadcasting, let's celebrate the fact that as a region, Appalachia is one of the most diverse in the country. And we're very unique. If nothing else, we are a unique group of people. Expand for people who, and and believe it or not, I've got some folks who listen in South South Africa. And so um, it's I don't have a ton of people following the podcast, but I have them from all over the place. So can you can you remember that interview enough to expand on uh, what that means? We're a unique group of people for people who aren't familiar with West Virginia. Or am I going back suddenly too far for you to remember? It's it's a good question. It's um, I. I talk about it a lot and I think about it a lot. Um, West Virginia, and I, probably every state feels this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and every country feels, you know, they're unique. Um, but West Virginia to me, and Appalachia more broadly, mm-hmm. um, has, we always, always say it has a distinct culture. But the thing that hits me is we have so many distinct cultures within that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know in terms of the diversity you know a lot of people have left west virginia you know over the last 50 years yeah um, really 70 years yeah uh, and you know, we're one of the few states that's losing population um and i think like four percent of the state now is, is black um but at one time because of the coal mines particularly uh, but also factories uh, we had uh, a, a pretty substantial black population, uh, mm-hmm. particularly in the coal fields and in mm-hmm. the cities. And in the early 1900s, um, we per capita had more immigrants, like in 1917, we had more immigrants in West Virginia per capita than any other state. Yes. Um, and that some of them you know the the children of those people have gone like joe manchin has gone on to be governor and u.s senator um that uh you know the descendant of italian immigrants mm-hmm. and, and and you see that all over the place uh that there's still an imprint uh, from that a, a friend of mine um 
his great grandparents immigrated from Italy and Sicily, right. and you know they made you know they brought their Italian sausage recipe, which of course was just sausage recipe, but it, and they've uh, and they sold it for years out of a little grocery store up in Fayette County, mm-hmm. and now they market it um, kind of based on that heritage uh, and telling the family story about how his great grandmother in 1907 or something like that brought the, the recipe with her. Mm-hmm. So we've got that ethnic and racial diversity in our history, in our culture, and we see it in music, we see it in food and things like that. But the reason it developed, kind of the culture developed uniquely here is that we're so mountainous, is that it, it's hard to you know, it's hard to describe for somebody who's not here just how mountainous we are. And we're not mountainous like the Rocky Mountains, but the Rocky Mountains are one giant mountain chain that are much taller than what we have. But we had these rolling hills and, and mountains and jagged rock outcroppings all over the place to the point where there's very little flat land, um, which affected settlement patterns that affected farming and affected transportation mostly so if you know you can live you know a couple of miles from somebody your whole life and never meet them yeah um they might just live over the mountain and next hollow and you never you never even see them didn't even know they existed maybe because um, you didn't go over the mountain yeah and so you had very distinct almost you know ways of talking or dialect it might be you know people talk about a west virginian dialect you can break that down into, you know, different parts of Kanawha County. Our yeah. county have, have different mm-hmm. dialects. Um, you know, you can go to almost any county in West Virginia, particularly the most mountainous ones. And you can tell from the east to the west to the north to the south. Yep. It's like, okay, people may talk a little differently here. It's like the food might be different. You know, only <laughs> yeah. part. Um, music. There's, you know, old fiddle tunes that, you know, are hundreds of years old. And, you know, in this part, you know, in one county, they play this old tune one way. And, you know, know, 30 miles away in the next county, they play it completely differently. It's not completely different, but it's their own variation on it. Um, I like to use that example because it's, it's, um, it just shows that even something like a, you know, two or 300 year old fiddle tune mm-hmm. adapted differently because of the people's lifestyles and where they were at and where they lived. Um, all that's changing to a great extent uh, in the internet age. Um, and it started with TV, but internet is really, and the good part is it breaks down barriers so people in South Africa and all the world can hear us talk about West Virginia, but at the same time, then all of this kind of these cultures blend together and we kind of lose some of that traditional culture that uh, yeah. we've had here that is just to me so unique. I don't I don't know of any other state that, that has so many different elements and you can go, you, we've got an Eastern Panhandle, a Northern Panhandle, Southern Coalfields, um, you know, we've got kind of a Metro Valley where, you know, it's about a seventh of all the people in West Virginia live in this one valley between Charleston and Huntington. And every part of the state is very different. It's, um, 
you know, and you hear this all the time. It's like, well, that's not even like it's in West Virginia. I used to hear that. I used to live in the Eastern Panhandle, and I would hear it's like, well, that's not even like Virginia or West Virginia. It's more like Maryland or Virginia. And and to a point, you see that because yeah. you're tied to the land and what's where your transportation routes are. So you might be closer to Virginia or Maryland, but there's still a West Virginia thing, and that I can't define and. I've, I've stopped trying to define it. And I think it's best that we probably don't define it because it lets us be, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, put us in a box as to, as to who we are, but it's very, it's, it, it's very different wherever you go, but yes. there's still something a little different about these people. And, and, and part of the thing to me too, also goes back to the history is that like looking at my relatives, who were my ancestors were German ancestry primarily. And, you know, they, in the, in the 1700s, you know, they immigrated to this country and came into the Philadelphia area. And most of them went down to the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. I passed the test. If you heard that. Yeah. I did. I did. So most of them, um, these these German immigrants came down to the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and many of them settled there, and it was just wonderful farmland. And some of them went down further into North Carolina, and it's then stretched out all over the country. And then for some reason, you know, it started getting crowded. You know, it's, it's, as people found the good farmland, you know, they started packing in the area even as early as the 1700s, and these early settlers like my ancestor they for some reason just took a right turn and decided okay we're going to go live in the mountains and try to grow corn on rocks <laughs> i have some of those i have some of those and 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 it this gets back into some of those um those um tired stereotype jokes i don't know we may have shared with you or not, i don't know we're not we don't make a secret out of it but it's kind of funny wayne and i are actually cousins and we are cousins seven generations back from down in Lincoln County. And the common ancestors that we have down there are around Garrett's Bend. And they were growing corn on the hillside down in Garrett's Bend. You know, that's, so, and that's, that's very, familiar. but our, um, my, my particular ancestors came from England, Ireland, Scotland. And if you go back far enough, you get some of that German Scandinavian, you know, but mm -hmm. the the ones in the closest generations came from England, Ireland, Scotland. And I've been kind of a little fascinated with the Scottish side of that because it's very thin. And I've I've been just, you know, online sleuthing. I've not done real, you know, chasing down and real hardcore research on it, but online sleuthing some of the family, you know, and and um we're back the, the scottish part is and I, I can't think of the name of the of the uh clan right off now i knew it for a long time i just say it all the time but now it's just escaped me but it's on the northeastern side of scotland up in near one of the um little coves up there excuse me and uh, i had it i had it chased down real hard there for a while and then um then the ones that came out of england are related to the morgans that settled Morgantown, Morgan County, that, you know, all through there. And um, then on my mom's side, they come up out of Virginia, but they were from Ireland and they come up out of Virginia. So, um, and the, but then they all, 
this one bunch ends up over in Garrett's Bend, and their descendants are the ones that came up off the railroad, a lot came out of the hollows on with the railroad to come up here to, you know, start working up here at uh, the Dickinson on the Dickinson K and M. And that's but, yeah. that's the early history of yeah. uh, what's now West Virginia, is it yeah. was primarily you know, Germans and Scots Irish. Uh, those were the, the main settlers until yeah. really after the Civil War when you know, the railroads came and the coal mines came yeah. and there was a need for all this labor. But yeah. it, was, it was very much it was German and Scots Irish settlers. Yeah. So and that's uh, that fascinates me, too, because, you know, it there's, you know, the running joke that we all marry our cousins and stuff. And when when Wayne and I decided to get married and we started figuring this out, wait a minute, your, you know, one of those, however many back great grandmother was a twin and a set of twins, a family with two sets of twins from Lincoln County. And my grandma's grandmother was a twin from a set of twins from Lincoln County. You start seeing this and it's like, family trees don't get bigger the further back you go. <laughs> they get smaller. Yeah. And so, you know, because if you, if you believe, then we all, you know, descended, depending on how far back you go from Noah or from Adam and Eve. But uh, so it, it gets, the tree gets bigger the further, the further forward in time you get, and it gets smaller the further back you go. But it's like, we don't know for sure if we want to look into this to see how close we are. But I was teasing my dad. I said, dad, I, I go clear to another county to find a husband and he's my cousin. Why didn't you warn me about this? <laughs> <laughs> of course, Dad didn't know. It's you know, and uh, Wayne's dad, Dillard, didn't know. That's it's on Dillard's side that we're related. But and that, and then that was you know, if you lived in a rural area, you know, my you know, I look at my grandparents who they grew up in Pendleton County, mm -hmm. and you know, their families had been in the area for you know over a hundred years. Yeah. And again, what I was talking about is like, you may not know the person on the other side of the mountain, and so the same families you know knew each other yeah got married mm -hmm. you know, they were best friends um it, it, it it's all very interrelated there, in terms of, of yeah you had family. you had nowhere else to go exactly. i mean even even in the in, out in the west i mean when when folks went and settled communities out there until there was large migrations of people you still only had a few families in these That's communities it. going to these churches meeting each other and marrying and you know so it's 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 a a cute little stereotype and joke but it's you know it's just how it is and it's not necessarily like you said it's not unique to west virginia it it happens all over the world in in isolated areas so well and if you once you start doing genealogy you're right you can start going back and many, many people descended from one person. Yeah, you know, you I'm related to the actor Jim Garner somehow. He was born Jim <laughs> Bumgarner without the D, but he was born Jim Bumgarner, pitcher Madison Bumgarner. Um, but, you know, I'm related and I can't remember exactly how, but it's something like third cousin, you know, thrice removed yeah, like, yeah. to Debbie Reynolds. And it's like Six you know, degrees you, of separation. Yeah, my, my wife's related uh, distantly to Johnny Cash, which wow. was one of the coolest things I ever found on genealogy. I don't know that I've got any. Oh, well, no, let me take this back. I do have a cousin 
and not that far back. It's my, see, his dad and my mom were first cousins, so they'd make he and I second, I guess. But um, it, it's it's Tom Eppelin, and he used to star in uh, Days of Our Lives. Wow. In Cal- and, and his dad left here, oops, his dad left here, and um, his dad and mom left here, you know, like, 10 or 15 bucks and probably not not hardly anything and he goes to california and starts selling cars and builds you know a a a small fortune selling cars and his couple his two sons did well and the one tommy eplin jr or that's what we always called him i think he just goes by tom eplin and uh if he's even still acting i'm not sure my sister marlena would know but i don't (laughs) keep up with it all but yeah he um he 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 was pretty famous there for a while and i think he was in what was that movie he was in he was in a movie he it was just a bit part in one of those oh wow i can't believe mm. oh rats i can't remember but i'll remember when we finish up here <laughs> it'd be too late <laughs> it was one of those um uh late 80s early 90s uh california movies um Kind of like the Don Johnson type of uh, when they were doing Miami Vice, but it wasn't Miami Vice. What was the name of that dumb movie? It was it was it was in, set in California. Sunset Strip. Okay, I'll have to go back and look for that. He um, he was in, I, I, he didn't play a major role in it, but he he played a part in Sunset Strip. But um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy if you start to chase, and then you run up to him and say, "I'm your cousin." They're like, "Eh." Call security. (laughs) He actually came out. We used to have very large family reunions. Uh, My mom's mother's siblings would all have, would have these family reunions. We always went out to all state forest and uh, he came in a couple times and he was, he was kind of, um, well, he said we could take all the pictures we wanted, but please don't ask for autographs. Um. (laughs) And I thought, that's all I need to know about you, brother. That's all yeah, I need to know yeah. about you. But of course, all the, you know, the my mom and her sisters and all the older ladies at the time were just thrilled, oh, you know, because they watched Days of Our Lives and he was a star. So. <laughs> I forget his character's name. Jake? Was it Jake something? Nah, I don't know. It doesn't matter that much. But you were talking about James Gardner and being related to people and that, that came to mind. But so, um, I, I subscribed my dad to Golden Seal a while back okay. when you were, right. when you were editor, and um, we I had let it lapse. I had tried to renew it online and it didn't work, and I forgot about it. And then he asked me one time about it, and I thought, oh yeah, so I renewed it just in time to get your last issue. <laughs> so and I was telling dad, dad, that's Stan. I know he's played music with Wayne, and he came to our wedding and stuff, and and he he didn't remember which it's okay he's 82 but um he really really enjoyed that last is it considered the winter edition or is it was that it, one was the fall issue with the tombstone on the cover yes yes yeah, the, fall. the last one he loved that one now he he enjoys the magazine anyway and he was really tickled when i first got him the subscription and um he but he really loved that because you did so many stories on areas where he has worked and and areas here in eastern part of the county and stuff and um he was he uh he came in he has a 
a blood test that we do every Friday. And he, when the weather's good, he comes over here. And he had come over here and he was talking about, oh, I used to work down so-and-so. And I knew somebody was over there when I was in high school, this. I mean, he it just caused him to remember a lot of things. And it was fun to listen to him. Um, you had to write a story about him for Golden Seal. Seriously. I, 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 I don't know what I'd write. Well, and that's... You know, that's what Golden Seal is about, is it's, it's not about famous people or politicians or, you know, celebrities. It's about everyday West Virginians that, you know, nobody would ever know of if it weren't for things like Golden Seal. Is oh, that here I, are everyday I, I people who did everyday things. I'll think about that. I may have to pick your brain now on how to do. I mean, I know how to write. I just don't know that I know how to write for something like Golden Seal. I, I, but anyways. You, you write like you talk for Golden Seal. That's, that's no. how I would tell people. In fact, I would no. tell people a lot of times, just just hit the voice memo or some recording thing on your phone yeah. and yeah. just start telling the stories. I'd and be, then you can I'd edit be. it later. <laughs> it's the editing that kills you. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be glad. Me anyway, because then I end up with just like three, three sentences I can use. <laughs> but... Um, Tell me a little bit about pulling that particular issue together, especially here. Of course, I'm I'm biased, especially uh, you know the the pieces here in the eastern part of the county, because you did a lot on um, Campbell's Creek and Cabin Creek and um, Malden. The the great thing about Golden Seal to me, and I didn't come up with this phrase. Um, the second editor, Ken Sullivan, came up with it. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing I just I just tried to remember every day is that the great thing about Golden Seal is it's one of the few publications anywhere that's written by the people who read it. Mm -hmm. um, so all the stories, except for the opening uh, column that I wrote, um, every single story in there was just submitted by readers. Um, and you and you mentioned the you mentioned the Campbell's Creek. Mm -hmm. um, that's a guy named Todd Hansen, mm -hmm. who's just who's in addition to being just a really nice guy, he's a he's a good writer, and he's collected photos, and he has a good eye for you know knowing what's a story, and he and he he has done so much research, um, and I think that's the. That, that's the thing about all the all the people who write for Golden Seal. It's because you don't if you're into history, you don't get rich off of it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have a passion for it. And Todd, uh, Todd just knows that Campbell's Creek area so well. Mm -hmm. And what he did in that in that article is he found historic photos and, and uh, historic photos, some of them going back 100 years, some of them yeah. more from the, like, the 40s and the 50s. And then he went to those same places today. Uh, yeah, and they imposed those. Yeah, superimposed them, and they're in. And, and it's it's you know it's kind of like the old adage is that something's completely different, and then some things you can see that it hardly changed at all. Right, um, but for the most part, things have changed dramatically in the last 70, 80 years. Just the the landscape. Um, so I did, and he talked about that. He talked about the history and. You know when things went out of business for instance when a you know mm -hmm. a company you know ran you know a, a certain business of campbell's creek and when it went out 
and he came to us with this. He'd written for Golden Seal before, and he came to me and just asked, "That's something I'd be interested in." Definitely, it's like it's, that's what we do is to kind of connect people with the past by starting from where we are today, and that's that that makes it relevant, I think, for everybody, including me. And I'm I'm into history. But I have to have some connection, connecting point to where it is today. But the, the entire issue was um, s- submitted by various readers, and mm-hmm. um, and 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 what I did with that one is that you know sometimes Golden Seal would just be a, a variety of articles on different topics, and then every few issues I would try to do kind of a theme issue that would um, sometimes be the entire issue, but more likely would be maybe half of it. And um, this one, I decided I had gotten a few articles in on cemeteries mm-hmm. uh, on, on a variety of things, uh, including the artistry in cemeteries and the stories they had to tell. Um, and we, I did, I, at some point it just hit me, it was like, okay, rather than just spread those out over lots of different issues, Let's have an issue about cemeteries, and you know it's not the the goal wasn't to be morbid about it, right? Just show how cemeteries have so many stories to tell. And oh yeah, I I did um, I did a spell of, of fascination with you know the older uh, headstones and stuff that I would stop and take pictures. I've got a couple that um, we t- well he was in Pennsylvania for a, a course when he first started working for AP and uh, while he was in the course I was out driving around and I was hunting up some older cemeteries and I've got a couple shots of headstones from like um, revolutionary soldiers and because they at the t- it was right around um, Veterans Day because they had p- placed flags on a lot of them so it was easy for me to, to eyeball from a distance oh there's one over there you know so I could go over there and take a picture of it. and one I used a lot um, on social media at different times. This was years ago in early social media um, for um, Veterans Day weekends and stuff like that. I'd put up, you know. That's great. But uh, yeah, I, d- I did that for a while. I, I, I'm all over the place. I'm like this adult <laughs> ADHD, you know, I'll, I'll hyper focus on, oh, I've got I've got a decent camera, you know, not like a big pro camera, but I got a decent digital camera and I'm taking pictures of everything. Well, I'm bored with that. I'm going to go over here and do this for a while. Well, I'm bored with that. I'm going to go over here and do this for a while. So I'm just, I'm all over the place. But yeah, I did. I went through a spell taking pictures. I'm going to some of the cemeteries and taking pictures of older headstones and stuff because they don't do that much now. Well, I shouldn't speak that generally, but uh, a lot of the ones now are the flat markers, you know, so they can cut the grass and be more efficient. And, and those, and those old headstones are art pieces of artwork. The, some of them are just absolutely remarkable. And, um, and that was actually, that was one of the stories in that golden seal was about, and nobody knows who he was, but, and, and they, they assume it's a him, but you mm-hmm. never know, um, that there was somebody who was doing a lot of work in Southern West Virginia, particularly like Monroe County, Greenboro counties, that area, um, who was truly, in a, you know, this was, he could do stonework. He, he could do very artistic things, and it just happened to be his canvas uh, mm-hmm. was tombstones. Yeah, yeah. Somebody had to make them. 
and and it was you know a lot of times you can just tell about the tombstones a lot about people it's like you know an ornate tombstone you know, can tell you it's like well you know they probably had some money or they were influential in the community mm -hmm. and somebody that just had a rock or something um you know who knows and you know and that was the people you know people were enslaved you know yeah for, most times they weren't even marked at all yeah and so it, it you can kind of like read stories into the cemetery itself mm -hmm. um by saying okay this is you know we've got charleston's a good example we've got spring hill cemetery we've mm -hmm. got you know former governors buried there and senators um you know you know like a history book of west virginia is buried in in that uh in that cemetery in charleston but there's also a black section where um that, that was segregated out uh based on the times um there's a popper's field there where you know people who were indigent who didn't have mm -hmm. any money uh died and the city kept a, a plot for them all those almost all those graves as far as I know, are unmarked. They know where the field is. They know where the hillside is, but they have no idea who's buried there. They're yeah. nameless, unmarked, and they're, you know, within you know, shouting distance of of governors. Yeah, they're my uh, my grandparents, uh, my kids, and and uh, uh, some of my mom's siblings are out Graceland. And um, there is a section there for babies from way back. And, you know, they've just got what are left of the little metal markers down there. So you don't, you know, there's going to come a point in time where those metal markers aren't going to be there, too. And, you know, you, you don't know who's there. And they're um, all even even like the more substantial markers, the stone markers from yeah. um, even 100 years ago, uh, yeah. just because of the chemical makeup of, of the environment yeah, and everything definitely. else they some of them have eroded very badly just in the last yeah. 30 40 years yeah. you know, they may have made it 200 years but the last 30 to 50 years have taken a toll yeah there's one out there in the older section or i don't i guess it would be the original section towards the back that um at one point had uh, a pylon or something on it and that's been gone for long so you can tell where it's come off and it's not there anymore. I, it's been gone for so long. I, I don't know if anybody would have known, you know, did it just crack? Did lightning strike it? Did somebody vandalize? I mean, it's just been gone for a long time. Was there a fracture in the granite, you know, that just gave way? But, um, yeah, it's, uh, they don't, and that's one of the ones that now my, my dad's family, um, the ones that are from down around Garrett's Bend, they're they're in St. Albans, and that's all flat. Those are just markers mm -hmm. instead of headstones. And I, I think it's awful, but that's that's the type of cemetery it is. Uh, I I prefer the headstones. I like, but I get it, the efficiency. I get it, but uh, I I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. <laughs> so. It's you know, and they, yeah, I'm I'm not either. But it's yeah, it is efficient. And, you know, one of the things, if you look at cemetery preservation, because there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's books, there's websites on it. Mm -hmm. And one of the worst possible, the thing that's damaging more tombstones than anything else are weed eaters. Yeah. And, and they, you know, and people think that, that they're maintaining it and, you know, 
very nicely. And the, the riding awesome. lawnmowers. When yeah. uh, when my my son Brian, when he was buried out there at Graceland, um, we when they the day he was buried, actually, even we noticed that one of Mom's uh, sister's headstones was just a little askew because of where it had been bumped. I mean, you 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 don't just walk up and shove them. It's not like a bed, you know. These mm-hmm. things are monsters. And Wayne asked when happened to know one of the guys that was on the groundskeeping there, and he said, "Can you fix that?" And they had it fixed by the next week, but. Then mom's um, grave out in uh, St. Albans is, um, had her vase, her brass vase, you know, they, they mm-hmm. turn upside down out of the season. Well, hers had been damaged because they'd hit it with a lawnmower, yeah. you know, so they just, and I get it's not highly skilled labor and it's, it's drudgery and all that stuff, but you know, they're not any, almost not any more taken care of than the ones up on the hill that nobody looks at for a hundred years. And so I've I had that conversation with somebody is that unfortunately, sometimes those, uh, those mountain uh, cemeteries, or maybe fortunately, those mountain cemeteries that are not perpetual care, mm-hmm. that get grown up to where you can't even see the stones. In some cases, those stones are going to be a lot better preserved than yeah. the perpetual care. Where yeah, because the weather doesn't get to them and the sun doesn't get to them as much. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, let's move on from this. Okay. <laughs> Just a couple more questions because I told you I wasn't going to keep you too terribly long. But I also warned you, I can talk for a long time and I've been known to do so. You know I can too. <laughs> so have you been over yet to and i'm sure you have over to see the uh the coal miners memorial over in marmot and what did you think about it i have not been there yet have you not oh, i've not caught and you I, up on one i know it's like i i know when they were installing them and i'd planned to go up there because they're installing them at different sites and i would just been through there right before and then i i haven't been back since they've done it and i, and I want to I took dad to over to the um, um, community center over there where they put the, the I, there's four or five of them there, a couple women and a couple guys and things. Dad wasn't impressed. <laughs> he wasn't really impressed. And I, I, I hate to say that because I know a lot of work and a lot of imagination and a lot of stuff went into him. He said they just took, you know, a, a um, plasma cutter and, and cut and he went, I, I don't know what he knows steel because he was a welder for years, mm-hmm. old, old school welder, not this new dial it up on the computer stuff. Uh, he said they took, and I'm just going to shoot a number out there, you know, three quarter inch steel and just cut it with a plasma cutter and painted that. And yet that's not who did. And I'm like, dad, just that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> but uh, so I and I was just wondering because I they looked a little rustic to me for I, I you know, arts in the eye of the beholder and all that stuff. But I, I just kind of didn't feel like the, it, it, it captured exactly what it needed to, in my mind. But they didn't ask me either, so it wasn't I, my project. I so. I'm really curious now. I want to go up and look. They just, they just looked a little rough and raw. Maybe that's what they're going for. I don't know. And the, the uh, red scarves on the neck look um, out of place on the steel silhouettes. But again, it's just my opinion and it's worth exactly what you paid for it, you know, but (laughs) so I was a little disappointed in it, but it's, it's there. It's nice. It does commemorate, you know, this, the struggle and the, and the stuff of those folks. So um, I'm glad there's something there. They have a, like a map kind of thing set up too, but uh, I just wondered if you'd been over there to see it. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you could the one there in Marmette, you can you can just pull up to and look at it. You don't even have to get out. It's on the upper side of the community building there. Okay. Across from the football field. Uh, I know you've written a couple books. You want to tell tell people about those, any? I have. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. I, uh, it, I wrote a book about the Children's Home Society of West Virginia, the history mm-hmm. of that organization, which is the oldest child welfare organization in West Virginia. It's been around since 1896. Um, and it was founded by a group of ministers uh, in, in the Charleston area. And it was kind of a Charleston area organization for at least a first few decades of its existence. Um, but now it's a very statewide organization um, and just doing various aspects of, of work to help uh, young people um, who, who've had problems uh, mm-hmm. historically orphaned. Um, and it was just a history of that, but it just showed also how, you know, the whole the whole transition of the of that field from you know the 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 institutional care um when you had child shelter and you had a you know the or the old-fashioned orphanage what we we batted in dickens and things as an orphanage and some of them were pretty much like dickens wrote about them they weren't very good so the goal of that organization was always to get kids into foster homes as quickly as possible. But then as today, um, there are always more kids than yeah. uh, families. So what, um, what spurred so you to, to pick that topic? It, it was a, it was a chance meeting with somebody who, who, who said they were going to be celebrating their hundredth anniversary. And um, it was a father of somebody I, I'd gone to high school with and okay. to him at a Christmas party. And we were just talking, and he mentioned, "Oh, we need some historian to go through our records and write the history." So it kind of went from there, and that's that's how a lot of things in my field go. It's, it's just chance meetings and conversations, and you know, and projects come out of them. And then the, the other book I did was uh, a postcard a history of Charleston, West Virginia, as told through postcards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's like a whole 128 page book. It's it's easier to find. I think it's still on the market. It's just called uh, Charleston: A History. And um, it now see, uh, I came across the your recording of that when you were when you were presenting it at the I think it was at the Culture Center. Yeah, I've I've, I've had a, I haven't done it in a few years, but I had a little PowerPoint presentation yeah. where I would go through and. And I would always talk too long uh, because I would think like I need this many postcards to get through one hour, and and I would look up and it would be about fifty five minutes in and I was through about four postcards. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm talking too much here, and you know I'm not going to make it to eighteen hundred yet. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that. I, I let the whole thing roll. I think it was an hour's worth that was on That's on hard. YouTube. And uh, I, I let I was doing some other stuff, but I had it on, and I, I would turn and look. I'm like, wow, Wayne, did you know? <laughs> did you know Stan wrote a book about postcards? I mean, wow, you know. So uh, I don't know if he actually got to watch it. Um, I did send him the link to it so that he could do that because I'm in the ki- I'm I'm a kitchen housewife, and he's in there watching the ball game. You know, actually, he's watching Oak Island or something like that. But, 
<laughs> but I'm always back here, and he's not always, but usually in there when he's after he's home from work, if he's not working on a car or something. But so yeah, that was in in postcards. What what's what caused you to want to do the postcard history? My father had a coin shop in Charleston for many years. Actually, I guess I own it now. My cousin runs it. I I, I never picked up the. Uh, the knack for uh, business or, or for coins. Mm -hmm. um, and my cousin did, fortunately, it was a canal coin shop. Mm -hmm. And my father operated it, opened it in 1962. And he passed away in 2015. Mm -hmm. So if I'm doing my math right, he owned it for 53 years. And he always had an interest in history and memorabilia and things like that. And he would, he would buy anything that was kind of historical. Um, including a lot of stuff that didn't sell, like postcards. They they weren't. Um, occasionally, you get you know people pay a dollar here or there, but you know they they basically just took up a lot of space. And um, he was uh, he was an idea person, so he was always like trying to think of like what could we do, what could we do. And he started pushing me. I don't know what point, just planting the seeds. Like hey, you ought to do something with this. Put these in a book or something. And I just, it was always in the back of my head, especially since he kept repeating it. And, and then um, I had a couple of months, like in the museum project, there were a couple of months where everything was down. Like uh, it was one of those fundraising periods. Uh, and I knew that we were going to have a two month layoff period, basically. Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, so I wonder if I can write a book in two months. And, um, and it's a very short book. So. That helped, and most of it's pictures. So, yeah, but I just you wrote a picture book, <laughs> and I, I I just pulled together all, and I don't know how many I went through. I mean, and there's so many that are kind of duplicates or or different views of the same building, mm -hmm. but I kind of uh, narrowed it down to a couple of hundred or so uh, postcards that I could tell the history of Charleston, um, in the Charleston area, really from the prehistoric times starting with the burial mound in South Charleston. Right, right. I saw that one. 2,000 years up to mm -hmm. um, really, I kind of stopped in the 1970s because that's really when postcards stopped. So I brought it up to the building of the interstate coming through town. So, but, but it did show just through these images how much the city of Charleston had changed. Um, and, and, it, and, and not always for good. It, it showed, uh, a, a friend of mine read it and um, she kind of joked that like you should have subtitled this and now it's a parking lot. Oh, yeah. So many of those buildings were torn down, particularly in the 1960s and 70s. And some of it was done for progress, like the interstate. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of them were just torn down for no apparent reason. Um, and and it, it's too bad because the ones that survived are now kind of you know, centerpieces of, of Charleston, like Capital yeah. Market. It was the yeah. last building. We're, we're talking about the KNM, the Canal Michigan Railroad. Right. So they had a whole series, they had a depot and a whole series of buildings in Charleston, um, including the depot is beautiful. And they tore them all down um, as part of urban renewal and building yeah. the states. And then somehow that one freight building got left. Um, and it just kind of sat there empty and was considered an eyesore. And then the city and uh, some you know, nonprofit organization got involved 
and they developed it into this um, kind of community market. Yeah. And and now it's yeah, it's packed. Now, yeah. Anytime that you go in there, uh, and and you see that throughout Charleston, Capitol Street, which was the main business district, it it uh, it essentially died out in the 1980s when they built an inner city mall. Yeah. Away, but then um, people came along and revitalized it, and uh, you had lawyers' offices and uh, accountants went in there, and Taylor Books was a cornerstone of going in there. Yeah. Ellen's ice cream. I mean, places that are, if you're not from Charleston, like you won't know these things, but they're, they're more than just kind of, uh, business establishments. They're, they're kind of like the old general store. It's where yeah. people get to hang out and talk, have a cup of coffee, have some ice cream, look at a magazine. You know, it's, it's revitalized. And most recently it's the public library, which, um, is, well, they almost moved. And, and, you know, there was talk about tearing it down and building a new one. And mm -hmm. they just, I, I love it. I think, I think they've done a great job. I haven't been in it since they've opened from the remodel, but it's, um, it's, I'm just it's, not downtown much. It's, it's really, I, I'm impressed. And I, and I go into some, a lot of these things a little skeptical or at least yeah. a little bit like, okay, what would I have done differently? That's how I kind of think of it rather than yeah. skeptical. I was like, how would I have yeah. done this differently? And almost all but i just think wow that was a good idea um, i i need to get down there i just i i'm not a fan of the downtown experience with not so much the establishments that are there but with some of the characters that are roaming you know the homeless and the and stuff and it i don't mean to be derogatory but it's I, I'm old and I'm fat. I can't run. So, I, you know, if I'm downtown and somebody's going to steal my, you know, uh, purse or billfold or whatever I have, I'm not going to be able to get away from them. So but, uh, the, what I've seen, and, the, and I'm just saying this is like a, a business owner down there. Sure, sure. Is that the, as more business, it, it, there's been a little recent revitalization mm -hmm. down there that has brought more people back into the downtown. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helped a lot. And yeah, you know, the homeless issue is something that I, you know, that's, that's probably I mean, a different conversation. And, it, 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 it is, it is. And I, and I, like I said, I, I'm not trying to be derogatory. It's just a matter of fact. Um, I, I have to go down um, to Huntington Banks there at the drive-through for my dad. I do his deposits. So it's there on, on the corner and, um, I come up and, and I go out uh, Courier Street out to the other end to Tennessee where West Banco is because we we have an account down there. So I'll make a big run. So um, and it's it's not infrequent that um, there are and I'm assuming they're homeless. I don't know because I don't ask them, but, you know, either on bicycles or walking or in the street or some are in wheelchairs wheeling up the middle of the street. And it's just an unpleasant experience when I'm down there. So uh, now my niece, Jessica, uh, I don't know if you remember meeting her, but you have uh, she she's down there a lot. Her and her family, her husband and, and uh, her two children are down there. They go down there to um, plays and, and stuff over at the um, Oh, shoot. Um, watch me 
pull it. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, they've gone down there. They've gone over to the um, across from the hospital, across from C uh, from the general. Um, yeah, the Clay Center. Um, you said Clay Center, and I said yes, and then still it didn't register. Um, and then they uh, they go down to Ellen's. They go down to uh, Taylor's. They go over to the library from time to time. You know, so they're they're down there a lot. They go down for the weeks weekend musics and stuff like that. Um, it's nice has, to have the music. It's yeah. That that's a that's something that again it's like going back like forty years. Mm -hmm. I would have if I had to predict. I would have predict Charleston would have been a ghost town by by today. And yeah. we've lost population, but having music and art and things like that in downtown, yeah, it's pulled people back into it. And just in the last few, well, not in the last few years, but before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and now again, it. I haven't seen that many people in downtown Charleston on weekends since probably the the early nineteen eighties. Yeah. So it's been forty years. Yeah. Uh, that it was just, it was kind of empty. And uh, yeah. as a business owner there, I, it, it was felt. Yeah. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Um, uh, I used to um, be in with the um, Charleston Area Alliance. And um, this was a long time ago. And it was this was before things started turning around and it was getting it was getting difficult you know they were trying struggling to get things together you know over there and then um uh they've they've turned around quite a bit of things there too so you know the um, charleston area alliance deserves a lot of the credit and because you know they were there in the beginning when mm -hmm. the revitalization started and yeah. when you when you start you know a process like that and mm -hmm. restoring old buildings and you know kind of the concept if you build it they will come yeah. it's like well, they don't necessarily come the next day they don't come right the next year right but this shows that like you know over 30 40 years that was a great investment of time and money uh, effort and thank goodness we save you know these historic buildings because mm -hmm. you know that that's where a lot of the character of a city is, you know, like, yeah. in, in, especially when you go out to like places like Southridge, which is, you know, I, I think every city has <laughs> that area. It's like where you have a Walmart and a Lowe's and all these things and everything. Yeah, it used to be the town center. Yeah. <laughs> around. But there's no all out there. You could be, if you blindfolded somebody and dropped them in the middle of that place, it's like you wouldn't know what city in the country you were in. But yeah. you go down Capitol Street in downtown Charleston and that yeah. for other places in West Virginia. It's yeah, like, when it has a feel. Yeah, when we were in high school, Stan, you shopping Capitol Street was the thing. Yeah. You know, and I missed that. When they built the town center mall, I just almost spit on the ground. <laughs> I I I I never liked a mall. It didn't have to be that one. I didn't. I've never liked a mall. I don't like the strip mall. Um, I I love shopping, you know, especially at the holidays on Capitol Street. 
you know, it just was a blast. You went from the peanut shop, you went in, you got hot, you come out, you froze to death, you know, it's just, it was an experience. It was fun. And then they, climate control mall and all this, it just, it just lost it for me. It was, you know, especially at the holidays, you're right. It was never the same. And it's still not. Even even downtown now, even with the options they have now, it's it's still not the same. It's not. I don't like. I, well, I it's. They're not ever going <laughs> to please me the way they're building just stuff now. Well, it's online. But they're not trying to shopping. either. So with oh, online yeah. shopping, it's all gone. That's just the way I look at it, and, yeah. and I look at it in my family business. It's not going to survive many more years because and, you can find everything online. Yeah, and. Yeah, it might swing back a little bit. I it, I don't know that it'll swing back as hard enough. But, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Walmart experience. I was kind of excited that they built the one here uh, at Quincy um, just for the potential of jobs and stuff. But it, it did exactly what everybody thought it would do. It ran out the Kroger's. It ran out the Hex. For, yeah. I don't know if it wasn't Hex by then, but... Uh, you know what I'm saying, uh, the, yeah. the department store. It ran out the Rite Aid. It, it ran them all out. And those buildings are still vacant. Um, Dollar General was in a spot for a little while. They moved to the to Quincy Hollow, uh, just totally out of there. And my dad would rather go to Tractor Supply than Walmart because he doesn't, doesn't he can park in front of the door, walk in, get what he needs and walk out because he doesn't walk very far now. And trying to walk through Walmart to find what he needs is a nightmare for him. But it's, you know, I can, and especially when fuel prices got up there uh, here a while back, you know, I, it, it's a mile to Walmart. It's 10 miles to Kroger's in Kanawha City. It's 26 miles to Southridge, you know, and there was nothing, you know, the town center was, has been turning bad for a long time, dangerous and stuff. So, you know, it was a no win. So I'm kind of either stuck shopping online or going up to the Walmart. And I've, a, I've never, the Walmart experience, it's, it's just the, the feel of inside the store, the, I, I don't know how to explain it, but, and especially now I, I don't really mind so much the self checkout because they stopped teaching people how to pack grocery bags. Mm-hmm. And so taking my groceries home in those plastic bags that tear and they're giving you four or five of them anyway because they tear and then trying to take my own bags because nine times out of ten i've got my own bags with me and i you know i can take my own bags and they throw stuff in those bags the same way they throw them in those plastic bags and it's a nightmare if i can't lift them you know what's the point so i end up self-checking out most of the time because i'm packing those bags the way i want them packed but I just, I still, I would rather teach the kids how to pack a paper grocery bag and I'll shop at your store and go through the checkout. <laughs> and the word you used in that, that jumps out as experience is yeah. that it, which I think is the whole thing of life, is that mm-hmm. we don't always get to do what we want. We have to, no, that's true. As my wife says, you know, like, like it's like a Saturday or something and I just want to like watch ball games. It's like we have to do a little adulting today, <laughs> so we have to yes, yes, adulting. And if you get your adulting done earlier, you can watch the ball game. What? <laughs> and, um, it, and but it's if you approach everything in life as an experience, mm-hmm. then it's all kind of fresh, even if it's things you don't that aren't necessarily fun, like shopping. 
that's the way shopping used to be is you went in to places where you knew the the people who were the salespeople mm-hmm. and it had character um mm-hmm. it was it was an experience and and we i think we really lost a lot by making everything generic and everything look alike mm-hmm. i mean yeah thank goodness we still have a few of the old hardware stores left oh yeah yeah. And you can go in there and you can tell them exactly what you need and or what you're working on your project and yep. they can tell you exactly what you need and you get some of these big about. box stores and you know you can't find it. They don't they can't find it. They don't know what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. you know, if you don't tell them exactly what it is and they can't look yep. it up on a computer, there's no way to find it. Right. And and no, I, that goes I, to experience of, of life. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, that's why, you know, we go to um, the thrift shops a lot, the little junk shops a lot. And um, bless his heart, <laughs> Saturday he bought, you'd have to know where we're at now, but in things, not where we're living and stuff. But he buys this old meat slicer, manual crank, nasty, got residue in it from 100 years ago. <laughs> Meat cheese, you know, it's got the little tray and you crank it. And you, It's the most awful looking thing. <laughs> he bought it. I'm like, what in the world? But we, we buy older stuff like that. I mean, it's just, I, I do it too. But he, um, he took it to work, to the breaker shop. Didn't have any breakers working on at the time. Took it apart, put it in their sandblaster or whatever machine it is. Blasted all the debris, all the rust and corrosion and all the stuff on it cleaned it up, put it back together. It's sitting, you can't see it obviously, but it's sitting right there. And it, it, if I had something to put on it, it would take care of it right now. I mean, it's just a beautiful little piece of something that he cleaned up, but you can't get that. Now you get that and that's, it's made out of plastic mm-hmm. and it's going to break and you can't, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to clean, but this thing, I mean, it's, it was made to last and, and we get in every so often some groups that i'm uh, associated with they'll get to talking fussing about refrigerators and freezers you can have one of those avocado green nasty things from the 70s and it won't die you can't yeah. kill one of those refrigerators you buy one of these new ones that alexa will order your groceries for before you even know you're low and they can't they don't they don't work more than a year or so and so you have phones, refrigerators, yeah. microwaves, mm-hmm. it's like computers, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and you can't get them, you can't get them fixed anymore. It, it's, no. it's, it's cheap to buy a new one, which is by design. Mm-hmm. So yes. they just selling you stuff and you just keep getting more stuff. And we're just, to me, we're just turning the whole world into a garbage dump because oh, well, there's sucks. some of that too. Yeah. Everything's I mean, accessible. I, I, we are the television that we have upstairs in our room. It's not one of the ultra teeny, you know, pencil thin ones that you get now at, at Walmart for a hundred bucks, but it's one of the earlier, thinner ones, you know. And uh, there's been a capacitor that's gone out in it twice that Wayne knew how to fix. And he's seen it on YouTube or something. He said, I've, I've seen this. There's a capacitor that swells up. Or, I, I don't understand all of that. So um, he takes it. He lays across the guest room bed. He takes all the screws out. He pulls out the, the board and he looks. He says, it's that one right there. He he found them somewhere. I don't, you can't even go to Radio Shack now. But he found them online somewhere, ordered a couple of them and replaced it. 
And he's done that a couple times. Most people don't know that, don't know how to fix them. And so, yeah, you're right. The things go to the landfill. And that, and, and that whole skill that Wayne has is is going extinct. Fading so, fast. That's right. And, and that's and that's sad. It's because, um, it, again, it was more than just being able to fix things. So you don't have to buy new stuff. Right. Those were that's knowledge that yeah. Uh, yeah. that's not going to get passed down. Yeah. And I, I was teasing a little bit about my dad and his welding. Uh, but dad has the ability to to take these older machines that don't have computers in them, older welding machines, you know, that use the gas and you turn the knobs and you have to do all this. He, he can gauge metal. He knows how to do this stuff without computer, mm-hmm. you know, and he has, he can fabricate, he can weld, he can mechanic. He's, I mean, he's done a little bit of everything all through his life and, and he can come up. He's, he's built boats for people and he's built uh, all kinds of stuff over through his life, you know, and they don't teach people that stuff now. No. If you can't, if you can't type it up and look it in Google or figure it out on the YouTube, it's it's lost. And uh, oh, that's a that's a long conversation for another two hour day. <laughs> that there, but I will ask you this one last question, and it kind of ties a little bit in. You said you had to adult, and this is a question that I've, I've asked the last couple people that I've interviewed, and. And it's, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> oh, that's a good, a good question. Uh, that's cheating. That's cheating. <laughs> this this is going to sound corny, but I mean, I, I mean, to me, every day is kind of, um, every day I, I want to learn something. I want to learn something new. Even if it's something just silly, like, like a movie I'd never seen before or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I, I want to learn something new. Ideally, hopefully I've learned something about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, to give the more straight answer to that, I've, I'm one of the few people I haven't, I haven't made a lot of money off of this and hadn't helped my credit rating, but I've been able to work in a field that I love mm-hmm. almost all my life. And, you know, I, I was one of these strange kids that, that you know, I, I knew all the presidents in order in first grade. I mean, I, I, I read history for fun. Mm-hmm. I started doing my own genealogy when I was 12 years old, my family's wow. genealogy. And, and, and I was obsessed with it. I would, and I, I, was, I was talking with a coworker the other day and I said, um, I said, you know, I'm the type of person that like I sit and I work with history all day. And that's that's my job. And then at night I go home and I read history, and, and <laughs> I'm kind of one-sided and boring, but it's it's really fun. My, my dad said, um, if you pick a career, if you find a career that um, if you turn a hobby into a career, then you never work a day in your life. Yeah, I've <laughs> heard versions way, of that. Yeah, it, that's the way it feels like. Is that I I don't really work. It's like I just get to do what I love and feel passionate about, and that's that's pretty cool. And and everybody doesn't get that opportunity to do that. And I know I'm lucky. I'm, I'm, I know I'm very lucky to be able to do that. That I've not only found you know a passion in life, but that able to make a, a meager living out of it. And that's I I you know if, if I 
there's no way you could have convinced me when I was you know, 12 years old or 18 years old or you know, probably 40 that I'd still be working in the field of history and you know, making enough to pay most of the bills. Um, well, I, I envy you with that because I've not had a, a singular passion. Like I said, I'll take things that I'm, I want to know all I can know about this and then I want to know all I can know about this. And, and I'm just so I don't have a long history of, you know, one field. And and in in my mind, when you say one sided boring because history, but history is so complicated and so and has so many you know, levels and, and areas and, and that you could be in. Now, if, if you told me that um, the only history you were interested in was the his history of the graphite pencil, then to me, that would be kind of boring. But, but the genealogy, the state history, the, the city history, the children's home society, all of those different things are, are varied and, and very interesting. So I, I wouldn't call you one-sided there. You know, but here's some uh, word trivia for you, Rob. Ready? Oh, trivia, yay! <laughs> Henry Thoreau's family got rich. He, I mean, he was basically independently wealthy from mm -hmm. making pencils. <laughs> oh, Lord, of all the things for me to pick, that was... <laughs> I, I know enough trivia, you probably could have picked any of Oh, I'll have to ask that. Wayne if he knows that one because he's he's he knows some of the strangest stuff. I, he I don't does. know. He, I mean, why he knows some of the things he knows, I have no clue. He and I would have That's long conversations trivia, about obscure things, and it was always fascinating. Well, we're we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to gang up somewhere and just you know kick back for for some hours and just everybody catch up soon. That would be wonderful. So, uh, Talk, um, play some music. I would love to do all. Oh that. yeah. So there you have it. Post your comments, do all that boosting, liking, sharing, thumbs up, and stuff that helps spread the word and poke the algorithms. Follow me on most of the big social media platforms and look for my name, Robin Holstein, or Holstein House. Till next time, bye-bye.